There's a movie that came out in 2002 called The Pianist. It's about Ladislaus Spillman, a concert pianist and a Jew in the Warsaw Ghetto in the 1940s. His friends were being deported to concentration camps, being sent to their death. And everybody who was there in that ghetto had lost everything. They were being starved to death, worked to death. There was little hope. The actor who played Ladislav was Adrian Brody. And as he prepared for the part, he realized he just couldn't get into the mind of this fellow. He'd never faced anything like this. And so the actor gave up his home, sold his car, disconnected himself from every relationship that he had at that point in time, and he moved to Europe. He starved himself and lost 30 pounds off of his already skinny frame to play this part, to understand the suffering in some small way that Ladislaw and his friends went through. Now, this was for a movie part. This is not hero work here that he did. But it's an interesting point of view in understanding suffering by going through suffering. We're starting our new series here called Broken Blessings. And we're going through what's called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, this was Sermon on the Mount was the longest sermon that we have recorded that Jesus preached. It's Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And when you read that sermon that he gives, man, he turns the world on its head. The things he says in there just will blow your mind if you read through it. An example of that, he says in that Sermon on the Mount, he says, you have heard, thou shalt not murder. But I tell you, even to be angry with your brother is to murder him in your heart. Even to hate is wrong. In fact, he goes on to tell them later on to pray for their enemies. I don't know about you, none of that sounds easy to me. Anybody find, would find that easy to pray for your enemy? To have no anger in your heart? To never hate anybody who deserves it? Jesus turns the world on its head when he teaches. And we're studying through the Beatitudes. This is the very beginning of that Sermon on the Mount. And they're kind of a preamble. Anybody remember in seventh grade studying the preamble to the Constitution? We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, provide for common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States. I tried to memorize it. I had to peek. The preamble sets up what you're about to learn on the other side. Well, in the 
Constitution, the preamble sets you up to understand this is what we're doing, and everything else that follows kind of comes back to this. The Beatitudes are the beginning of this sermon that Jesus preaches, and everything else that comes after, it's getting you ready for. It gives you an idea of the mind-blowing stuff that's coming right after. So our text today, if you'd like to join me, is in Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Matthew 5, verse 1. There's pews in the, or there's Bibles in the pew right in front of you. If you don't have your own Bible, you can also feel free to use the one on your telephone. I use mine a lot on my phone now because you can look up stuff fast. We're going to Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. It says... Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. I'm sorry, the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you when people insult you. Now, I could guarantee everybody in this room has been through some of that. And did you feel blessed? Oh, not really. That certainly doesn't sound like America 2019. That's not what blessings are. Blessings are for, when you, are for you when you're rich and powerful. It doesn't sound like Israel in the year 30 either. They had the same things we do. People wanted to be wealthy. People wanted to be powerful. People were willing to do whatever it took to get there. The heroes were the ones that were the big religious people or the big uh, stars or the big famous people or the big politicians. They were the ones that everybody wanted to look after. But Jesus says, no. Blessings are for you when you're at the bottom, when you're cut low, when you're hurting and suffering. In fact... In the version that Luke records of this same sermon, he adds that Jesus said, Woe to you if you're rich, for you've already received your comfort. Woe to you if you're well fed now, for someday you will go hungry. Woe to you if you laugh now, for soon you will mourn and weep. And woe to you when men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated false prophets. Jesus turns everything around, changes it upside down from the way we expect. And he says the kingdom of heaven 
are for the least of these. The kingdom of heaven are for the ones that aren't the big stars and the big heroes and the big politicians and the big religious leaders and the famous people. None of that stuff matters. The kingdom of heaven is for the lowly. That's a heck of a preamble. And if the preamble sets us up for what's next, you got to wonder, holy moly, what's he going to tell us next? Well, I have an answer for you to do that. We have a sermon, or we have a challenge every single week in our bulletin. If you've got a bulletin, look in there. There's a challenge for you every single week. Now, I'm going to give you a little hint. The challenge doesn't change for the next eight weeks. The challenge for the next eight weeks is to read the Sermon on the Mount at least once a week. It won't take you long, 10 minutes maybe. It's not that long. It's Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. Beginning then, that's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the reason I want you to read it every week is the more you read, the more it starts to get into you. The more it starts to make you think. When uh, your pastors, David, Bernie, or I are preparing for a sermon, we read the scripture dozens and dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times. Because you find that you read it and you catch something you missed before. And the next, thing, next time you read it, something really different gets in there. And you may find a dozen things in there. When I was in Bible college taking a class called hermeneutics, which is biblical interpretation, learning how to read and understand the Bible and pass it on to others, they made us for an entire semester read the same piece of scripture over and over again. And every single week for that semester, we had to bring in a sheet of at least 50 observations that were different from the previous week, that were different from the previous week, 16 weeks. Can you imagine doing that? First time I heard that assignment, I was like, how am I going to find 50 things, let alone 50 each week? You know what? I learned you do. If you keep reading it over and over again. So your challenge this week for each and every person in this congregation and anybody out joining us on the internet, read Matthew chapter 5 through 7, at least once a week. If you want to read it more, more power to you. I would love if you took this challenge and told me at the end, in eight weeks, say, this is what I learned. This is what I got out of this. This is what I don't understand. By the way, you're free to say, I don't understand some of this. Let's talk. I'd love to sit down and talk with you. In fact, you guys know I have got the coffee offer I'd love to buy you a cup of coffee or tea or juice or milk or even water if that's what you need and sit down and have a conversation with you and answer any questions that I can. If you read it over and over, it's going to shake up your world. This week, we are starting with the first line of the Beatitudes. In verse 3, where he said, says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? That was my first question when I sat down and read that. I've read this a whole bunch of times, but we're going to preach on it. So I sat down to read it. What's it look like to be poor in spirit? King David in Psalm 51 says to God, you do not delight in sacrifices or I would bring them. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O Lord, that you will not turn away, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. 
broken spirit is recognizing your need for God and acknowledging it. A broken spirit is recognizing your need for God. The trick here is that Jesus takes that broken spirit desperately in need of God and he makes something beautiful with it. There's a moment in Jesus' teachings as he's becoming known, more well-known around Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And there's a moment when John the Baptist is in prison. He's gone to prison because he's at, well, he's going to prison because he got in trouble with political authorities, but he's going to prison because he's saying things that the religious people don't like. The people who have the control, the people who are in power, he's saying things that they don't like. And he's pointing to the fact that a Messiah is coming. Messiah meaning anointed one. The one who's chosen, the one who's been promised to come. Messiah. He's sitting in prison. And he's maybe doubting. Is Jesus really the guy that's been promised? So he sends one of his disciples to ask Jesus. And Jesus, in Matthew eleven four replies, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those with leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of this. Well, that's a strange answer. Somebody sends... A messenger says, are you the Messiah? And he answers, go tell them what you see. Dead people are raised. Blind people can see. Deaf people can hear. All these amazing things are happening. Poor people are fed. We're taking care of the person. We're doing all this stuff. Well, that's not really what the answer was. The answer was referring them back to an Old Testament prophecy for the Messiah, the anointed one. Listen to this. In Isaiah 61, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. There's that word that becomes Messiah, anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness the prisoners, to comfort those who mourn and provide for those who grieve, to bestow on them beauty for ashes. You see, he's answering the question, saying, yes, I am the anointed one. And the anointed one is promised to do these things, to wreck the whole world, to change how things are looked at, to, to tell the, the rich and the powerful and those people who have everything and hold down the others, say, your time's coming up. And then to comfort the poor and the mourning and the hurting and those in prison. Things are going to be different and he's going to take their suffering, their ashes and turn it into beauty. That's why that song that we sang today, you make beautiful things out of dust. And yes, Jesus does. When I was preparing for this sermon, I stopped in the middle last week. I work really hard to have my sermons done and prepped by Thursday. So I, I know it's taken care of, and then I can just kind of mull on it, kind of let it marinate. But something happened last week that changed my sermon. 
I watched a video. When I watched this video, I said, there. That's my example. That's what a broken spirit looks like as a believer. Some of you may have seen the video too. There was a situation that occurred actually more than a year ago where a woman named Amber Geiger, a police officer in Texas, came into her apartment and saw a man in her apartment, only she was not in her apartment. She had come into the wrong apartment, and it was just this whole mess of a situation that put her in the wrong place at the wrong time in this man's apartment, Botham Jean, and she shot him to death. Now, she's white. He's African-American. That caused a whole mess there with all the ongoing race issues and, and the questions of fairness and the questions of justice and the questions of oppression. All of these things are being raised in this trial. And it came to a head where she was found guilty. And there's a time in a court trial where when you're found guilty before sentencing, the victims, the people affected by what you did, get a chance to speak. These are victim statements. And several people had spoken already. And then Botham's brother, Brant, got up to speak. He's a young man, 18 years old. And he sat down and he clearly looked uncomfortable. I don't think he knew this was being broadcast. But he got down and he was clearly uncomfortable, clearly struggling. He breaks down a couple of times as he's speaking. But he says to Amber, the woman who murdered his brother, I hope you go to God. I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and just ask him, he will forgive you. I love you just like anyone else. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die. I personally want the best for you. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. Anybody else see that? If you haven't, go look it up on YouTube and watch it. You see, Botham, the man who was killed, and Brant and their parents are all believers. They're Christians, part of a church of Christ in Dallas. And he did not condemn her. He said, I hope the best for you and the best would be to give your life to Christ. He then asked the judge if he could hug the woman who murdered his brother. And amazingly, she said yes. Now, if you don't know in a courtroom, generally when someone is convicted of a horrible crime like that, they don't let the victim's family anywhere near them because they might try to take revenge. But for whatever was happening, something in that judge, and I believe it's because she too is a Christian, she said yes. And there was this poignant moment when they came together in a hug. He hugged the woman who murdered his brother. You see, there's a couple ways he could have responded to something like this. And in fact, there's been a lot of fuss after this happened. There were people who condemned him for forgiving her. There are people who are very angry. How dare! 
dare he let her off? But he hugged her. You see, he could have gone the American way of bootstraps, pull himself up, pull himself back together, pride, strength, bravado, tell her off and leave. Or he could have faced it with vengeance. He could have taken that moment to scream anger and hatred to this woman who killed his beloved brother. Would any of us in this room not understand if he had done that? If someone took my brother from me, I'd be angry. But Brant and his parents took the third way. That is the kingdom thinking, the kingdom of God. He was aware that he himself needed God and he needed her to know that she needed God too. And so, not taking away her punishment for her crime, she's still going to prison. He hopes the best for her while she's there and when she comes out and forgives her and points her to the way that will truly change her life. Brant chose the kingdom way, and here's what's interesting. The judge did too. After Brant hugged Amber, the judge came down and grabbed a book She gave her a hug and handed her the book, which was the Bible, and said, here, start here. Now, here's the funny thing. That caused a big fuss, too, from the freedom from religion folks about that. Go figure. Both of them were offering this woman a chance at something more important, much more important than whether or not she goes to prison or not, whether or not uh, any other things happen to her because of this, the most important thing being that she knows Christ. She's still going to prison. She still faces justice. This will affect her life for the rest of her life when she gets out. But this young 18-year-old man gave her a grace Grace that she did not deserve. But Jesus can make beautiful things out of ashes. Her life, this family's life, that young man, Botham John, their lives were all busted up because of these actions. But beauty can come from ashes. If you look on the cover of your bulletin, if you look at the slide up here, there's a picture. It's a picture of a bowl. This is a Japanese art form called kintsugi. It means golden joinery. And kintsugi is where they take a piece of pottery, a useful bowl, a dish, a pot, something that's useful that has been broken and they repair it. And they repair it with gold. The brokenness is not hidden or put away, but it's highlighted by the gold. The repaired piece is again useful because it's been repaired. But not only is it useful, it's beautiful. It's more beautiful because it has been broken than if it had never been broken before.
What a wonderful parallel to our lives in Christ. Every single one of us is broken. And when we come to Christ, he does this. He knits us back together with beautiful gold. And our scars are not hidden. They become something he uses to create even more beauty. Beauty like Brant John showed. For years, there was two women who did our communion each week. I've shared about them before. Both of them were older ladies. And the one who touched my heart the most and who's just lasted with me for so long, even after she passed away, is Grandma Ruth, Bedelia's grandma. And Grandma was in pain every single day I knew her. She had had cancer three times and beaten it, but no longer had a stomach. So she had to have all the little medical adjustments to make her stay alive for that. She had deteriorating arthritis in her back and she hurt every single day. And every Sunday when I came in church, the first person I saw was Grandma Ruth and she'd give me a hug and encourage me every Sunday. Her scars and her suffering from her life and her story is pretty amazing. She didn't turn it in on herself. She didn't talk about herself. She didn't make things about her. She used what she had to love on others. She had seen her mother and father, uh, her mother, father, and her husband all three die of cancer. And you know what? If you came in here to the church and you had cancer, she'd sit down with you and hold you. She'd lost her husband. She knew what it was to be a widow. And when we had ladies who were widowed in the church, she'd sit down and cry with them. God took her suffering and scars, her ashes, and made something beautiful with it. That's the power here. Not like the actor, Adrian Brody. I don't want to put him down, but it was pretty amazing that he gave up some things temporarily for a movie. But that's just it. It was temporary. The power here is the eternal results that come from our brokenness and Jesus joining us back together, repairing us. We can't save ourselves from our own brokenness. That's the whole way of the world. If you're poor, if you're failing in life, if you're struggling, the world tells you that's your fault because you can't pull your stuff together. But Christ's message is... You can't save yourself from your brokenness, but you can be healed. You can be made whole again, whole again, and you can use that beauty that Jesus gives you to touch the lives of others. Bring your brokenness to Jesus. Your cracks, your breaks, all the things that are falling apart, and let him make you new again. Let him give you beauty from ashes.